this episode, I'm excited to have my first guest in the UK. I'm talking with Dunstan Power, co-founder and director at ByteSnap Design and Versanetic, a division of ByteSnap Design. Dunstan graduated with a degree in engineering from Cambridge University and has been working in the electronics industry since 1992 and is a leading authority on EV charging. I'm Major Maidment and this is the EV Quest podcast. Hello Dunstan. Hi, hi Adrian. Uh, nice to see you. Yeah, thanks for thanks for taking the time to have a chat. It's okay. Uh, yeah, maybe first up just a bit of an overall of your um your businesses maybe because um yeah, I got on the website and I was like, man, that's pretty full on. Yes. <laughs> it's kind of <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, so effectively uh we've got two businesses I can talk about. So there's Byte Snap Design. So ByteSnap's uh, electronic software design consultancy uh, is founded in 2008 by myself and uh, my business partner, Graham Wintle. And uh, we specialize in electronics products designed basically in software, embedded software. So all the products we do, like what we call you know, embedded systems. So that's basically something just designed for one purpose. And uh, an example of that is an EV charger. So for the London Olympics, we designed um, control boards that went into EV chargers, um, 120 of them at the Olympic sites. Um, they were used for charging electric minis that we used for driving people around. So we learned about charging back then and, and, and we did software updates to them over the period. And effectively by this sort of about five, six years ago, we were being asked um, in the course of you know, our consultancy work to design similar you know ev chargers and products around ev charging and we set up versinetic to do that so versinetic basically is a, a company where we, we we've got effectively two things we've got a set of products that are used for building smart ev chargers and we've also got a um a, a load balancing system um which is a, a solution that allows so say you're building a block of flats and you've got 30 ev chargers in the block of flats it can just sit locally on site and then balance all the the chargers against um the load of the whole site the reason i sort of differentiate them is that like that product is sort of aimed at installers and um people you know uh dealing with problems of installation whereas the other one's aimed at OEMs who are building uh, EV chargers basically we've got customers in I think it's like 12 countries now so in Europe uh, Australia um, US um, and Egypt as well funnily enough so yeah I'd love to have some customers in uh, in New Zealand as well uh, and it's, it's great yeah uh, great to, to talk to you yeah we're in a bit of transition at the moment we've got to change our government so um, no one knows what's going on I think sure yeah <laughs> yeah yeah and um you do a lot of consulting as well i read on the on the website exactly yeah we do uh advise we advise people we can do c custom solutions for people so as well as having like uh existing nailed down products uh, which we can just sort of sell off the shelf we also do custom bespoke things we did a project for instance we did the first uh uk's first end-to-end v2g system uh we're in a consortium with two other companies and a university uh in birmingham and um we basically put together this uh system that uh, one company looked after the grid side of it so they could look at what's happening in the substation and then there's another company that did this building energy management system for a large university building and then we did the uh, ev end of it 
and effectively these Nissan Leafs were able to offset power in the building um, depending on what was going on on the grid. So, you know, if the grid said, oh, you know, the, the frequency was dropping, they could call for power from the cars to basically balance the load in the building. And they did research as well into batteries. Um, the university uh, looked at the, how batteries were affected by V2G. You know, people were worried that if V2G would wear out a car's batteries, but actually what they found was uh, the opposite, that um, the worst thing you can do with, with a battery is to leave it on charge all the time at 100%. By doing a V2G system, effectively, you, you're sort of cycling the battery around the middle of its range and, and actually it's sitting there maybe not that charged a lot of the time and then it gets you you in the system you say look i leave work at five o'clock i need it to be at 80 percent at that point so during the day it can get drained down and then it gets charged up to 80 percent just before you set off so and and that's actually so effect, i mean the, the the bottom line is over the two years of this experiment they basically found that the car the, the batteries didn't really get worn by the VCG system. Um, oh, that's quite interesting. Yeah, yeah. And most of your customers sort of new to the sort of the EV space. Is it? You um, yeah, we've got we've got a mixture of customers. We've got so we've got some customers who are startups. So they've got um, just a, a brand new idea. They they're, and they're new to EV charging. That's probably quite difficult these days because the market is obviously quite crowded now. But we've got other customers with existing EV charger manufacturers who just weren't really necessarily keeping up to date with the, the technology because the things had gone from being very simple systems that were effectively just turning power on and off to something that's, you know, that it's a embedded computer and it's having to do lots, look at, you know, um, energy from solar panels and what the happening on the grid may be and have like cellular communication and Wi-Fi. You know, they've become a lot more sophisticated. So effectively, you know, we've got, so we've, we've got customers in that space who are already making them. And then I, I guess the third type of customer really are companies who are already existing uh, established companies that make some form of electrical product so something like street lighting is a good example so they might already make lighting they know how to put electrical products together but they don't do sort of microelectronics and the sort of yeah the sort of higher tech electronic end of it and lots of software but they are in a stab they're not a startup so that's that's uh, been a base of sort of successful um uh, business for us dealing with those those sorts of companies and yeah. is the um so is it how would you describe the uk market is a sort of very in the early stages store is a little bit yeah well um, so i've done some sort of comparisons of charging in different parts of the world so in the uk um we're running at about um a quarter of new cars are evs and we're similar to france and germany like norway it's about 80 percent um ireland's about eight percent australia's was about eight percent last time i looked so you know give you an idea and there's about a million evs on the road and then in terms of I, I looked at ratio across 11 countries of ratios of um charges to cars so the uk we've got about 25 cars to every charger so i'm talking about public infrastructure here obviously and if i compare that to say uh norway it's well holland's about six so holland's got the most dense ev charging in the world so they've got more they've they're 40 percent of new cars are evs in holland and they've got six cars to a charger, so they've got a lot of chargers. Norway, there are 80% of, again, more or less, of new cars or EVs. But they're looking to phase out um, 
uh, ICE cars in 2025. So, and they're on schedule to do that if you follow the curve. So, yeah, I mean, Britain's third or fourth in, in Europe, you know, in terms of EV adoption. We've had a bit of a sort of setback recently because the government have sort of pushed the goalposts back. You're talking about your, your government, you know, uh, changing i mean politics is very important with all of this and um our, our government's just sort of we got prime minister's relatively new and he's pushed it back the goalpost about five years uh for public infrastructure which i think is a real shame because it'd be fine if humans were rational and said right we've got five years so it gives us more time to plan properly and get all these things in but that's not how people work you know in investments and um, finance people go great i've got five more years i don't have to do anything and um i can pile all the money in at the end you know it's, it's unfortunately the, the way these things work so yeah yeah it was quite an abrupt change, wasn't it? Because one day he was like saying, we're not changing anything. And then yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly, yeah. No, he went from, he went from this, no, 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 nothing. But, you know, they sort of follow what the tabloid press tell them to do. And, and yeah. that's, you know, they were told by those people. And, you know, there's there's a lot of vested interests in, you know, the status quo, unfortunately. Uh, mm. Same problem in Germany, you know, the 800,000 people work for the car, German car industry and, they're heavily invested in petrol and diesel vehicles and they're not their their car production is not ev production isn't profitable versus say chinese or uh, tesla they're worried quite rightly um but i don't think the solution is to sort of bury your head in the sand pretend it's, it's all going to go away and but that's just the way these things work isn't it it's politics yeah yeah, yeah. Do you think they'll lock it in this time? Because it's 2035, isn't it, for the UK? So it Yeah, start. which is the rest. It, it does bring it in line with the rest of the EU. Oh, so, okay. But it's just a shame because on 2030, we would have been more of a leader. And, of course, by being a leader, you look at Norway. Norway's got some leading EV charger companies just because the country's committed to hard targets. So you get local industry formed because of the demand. you got, you know, it's easiest to serve your local market. So by shifting timescales back all you're really doing is giving more opportunity to foreign companies um you know to to imports whatever rather than really uh um looking after your you know encouraging your your own industry your own business it's a bit of shame really Mm. is there any sort of big ev developments in the uk at the moment or sort of i mean i'd say we're seeing um um the tesla network is now allowing uh, so Tesla's definitely got the best supercharger network uh, in the UK. And I drive a Tesla. Um, I used to drive a Nissan Leaf for a number of years, and I, I really like the Leaf. But the thing I like about Tesla is the, the supercharger network, more than the car, because it means that I can set off somewhere in the UK and I can be pretty sure that I can get there by charging, you know, between the range of the car. I haven't got one of the really long-range ones. I've got one of the sort of uh, lower-spec ones. But, you know, the, the the network's good enough to mean that I, I can get some. Whereas all the other EV infrastructure for everyone else isn't so good. But there are now Tesla superchargers open to uh, other vehicles. So that's, that's one thing. Similar to North America where they've allowed, um, the because of the incentives, because the US government have said um, they will um, in, in invest a lot of money in infrastructure, um, but it's only if the chargers are open. So that's incentivized Tesla to open their chargers up because I think it's something like 220,000 of the 300,000 chargers, it was like something like that, in the US, uh, 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 Tesla chargers, a uh, public one. 
um, I guess we're seeing more um, sort of the Chinese cars on the road um, than we were, but there's still some companies that aren't because we're left-hand drive. Like so, there's still models uh, company where they haven't been bothered to do, you know, to do left-hand drive cars. But I mean, MG um, is Chinese, obviously. I think Polestar is a Swedish company, but it's owned by Volvo, which is Chinese as well these days. So we're seeing more of these. I don't think Tesla's as dominant in the UK as I think the Model Y is the most popular car, but it's not as dominant as you see more of a mixture of EVs than you do um, in some countries where Tesla's more dominant. But um, yeah, there's a lot of there's always been buzz about V2X, V2G, um, but the issue with and, and it's great, but the issue with it is lack of support by the vehicles. But yeah, at the moment, I think we're the same as a lot of other countries. It's just we need more infrastructure because the sort of rate of EV adoption is sort of stalled a little bit. So it's still heavily growing. And um, people who sort of sort of talk about it as though people aren't buying EVs anymore. Oh, they are. It's just you're dropping maybe a few percentage points, but you're still talking at a very uh, high percentage of uh, new cars or EVs. And particularly company cars because or, or areas that have got congestion zones. You know, London, there's a lot of the taxis now are and Ubers are Teslas basically because all congestion charging. Oh yeah. Um and just yourself, you travel around quite a bit. You're um, recently in Australia, weren't you? Doing a Yeah, a I've, I've done yeah, that's right, yeah, because we've got customers in Australia and um the, the Link Ray product that I talked about this seems to, to be popular. And um, so, um, yeah, I did the uh, fully charged show in Sydney last year, and I'm doing it again uh, in February, um, which is called Everything Electric Now. That was a fantastic show, really good turnout, and just a really good optimistic buzz about it. Um, uh, and I also spoke at the Australian EV Association Conference in Perth, um, really talking about just the talk all about comparing different countries i sort of went to quite a lot of detail about 11 different countries and where they're at i've you know i've done quite a lot of travel over the last couple of years just getting the company off the ground and you know winning business basically closing business and finding out what's going on in other places and some of it's been successful and some of it's been less successful but you know it's the you know it's been uh been quite fun yeah like you said is it becoming more competitive is there more people sort of getting into the, the charges yeah i mean the, the certainly the the, the, there's a big trend towards sort of low cost uh, chargers uh, out of China, so that just for that wall box, that sort of lowest common denominator sort of wall box market. I'm not sure how many of them would sort of pass all the regulatory stuff if they were put through it, but there's an element of sort of marketing your own homework with um, the way uh, city standards are, uh, are policed. So the, the bond, the market, the sort of home wall box charger market is, has been fairly commoditized in the last 12 months uh, which is sort of noticeable yeah because they sort of talk about that charger anxiety don't they when people worried about if it's driving along if the charger's going to work but yeah Tesla. yeah i mean public charging still there's real problems with it you know people turn up the charges i mean you're getting cues and, and there's something in the paper about people having fights over charges and yeah. stuff yeah um as i said i don't really trust the the press on this issue particularly because a lot of our media is sort of owned by sort of um yeah it's quite sort of right wing and um it's not it's not you know you have to sort of read behind a lot of 
the politicisation of the news. There's always a Tesla on fire, isn't it? Yeah, news. things like that. Well, a good example is there was a fire at Luton Airport a few months ago, and it went viral that it had been an EV that had caused in. It wasn't. It was a diesel car. You know, instantly there was this uh, story, oh, an EV's caused this, this uh, airport car park to go on fire. So, yeah, as I said, I mean, really, I think the statistics are pretty healthy, really, on on EVs and accidents and fires and all the rest of it. I don't, you know. Um, but obviously, you know, people drive cars, cars crash. So, you know, you're going to get EVs crashing the same as anything else and, and, and having accidents. It's just uh, uh, nature. Is there new, what's, new technology that's coming out that people should be aware of? Um, in EV? Um, so I think, yeah. So I think one thing is, um, so obviously with the AC charger market being sort of saturated, um, there's a bit of a, there's a lot of people are looking at DC chargers because DC chargers are very expensive, costly to install. So there, people have noticed that there's a bit of, uh, there's probably a sort of, not a gap in the market, it's one that's being filled, but for maybe low power DC chargers. And the reason is, is because um, you could get over, 20, like 22 kilowatts is the limit, charge limit on an AC three-phase charger, but a DC charger, you could perhaps do a, a small 30 kilowatt charger, for instance, and run that off a single phase um, if you've got enough guns. So there, there's a sort of market market there, uh, sort of in, in, in the charger market. But I think on the um, the main thing really is that, oh, the UK government, this is, actually I should mention this, so the government is aware of all these problems with broken chargers. Um, another real pain is like there's loads of charge point operators and they all have their own apps. And so you can imagine you're turning up in the rain, railway station, you want to catch a train and you, you see, oh, it's a such and such a charger network. I don't have that app. I've got to download the app and put your credit card details. You're doing it on a smartphone. You want to get, you know, it's a rubbishy experience. The government sort of recognized that and they're looking at like, they look over at Holland and Holland had this um, uh, combined payment system. So you could basically... Um, get a card and use it on any any public charger so as a result you, you know so the uk is trying to um they've, they've brought in these uh, uh charging regulations which are saying that basically high power chargers the public chargers uh need to all have um, contactless payment so you don't have to, and need to be open to everyone so they're trying to get away from uh, a locked uh proprietary infrastructure basically in charging and there's they're also putting on reliability very high demanding um, reliability limit limitations as well, saying that you need to have an uptime. I think it's something like you know 99% uptime. Uh, at the moment, it's like 75%. I think so. There's a massive way to go. Yeah, so it's quite a good thing the government's done. It is basically, you know, the the, the EV charging infrastructure. This the, uh, plan is quite sensible, and in terms of trying to improve quality, make the user experience better. There's accessibility things as well for people who are disabled. Quite a lot of thought, be, you know, quite a lot of talking uh, to people and thought has gone into it. It's actually a sort of pretty uh, sensible plan, and you know, if it's properly implemented, it could you know make charging better for everybody. You know, um, yeah, why is it only at seventy five percent? Because you sort of think. Well, okay. th there's lots of issues. So the sort of issue, you know, there's issues with the basically the inverters themselves going. There's problems with communications. So quite often it's like comms issues. I mean, I've I've turned up at them and and like the charge has been up, but it's not been able to accept my payment card. I but yeah, I don't know. I've turned up plenty of charges. There's vandalism as well. You get 
broken connectors because the DC chargers are all tethered because they have to be because the cables carrying high voltage and high current and get problems with those connectors getting vandalized or broken or abused. I don't think, you know, it's something I've looked at myself. I've sort of looked, tried to look at statistics for what causes uh, public charge of failure. And I, it's just, it's just a big variety of not, there doesn't seem to be like one single one single thing basically and we don't have the excuse in the uk of like extreme environment you know it's not like we're running we don't get like these sort of australian outback temperatures or anything like that you know um so that that's just not an excuse um but yeah there's just some sort of a lot of sort of fairly crappy charges out there you know as with all these things the sort of quality and the reliability will improve with time and particularly with these sort of um stringent um uptime uh uh, uh, requirements that's, that again will sort of put pressure on on the manufacturers to to improve the quality of the charges. But obviously they can't. There's limits to what they can do with things like vandalism. What's well, so, um? Do you sort of have a topic that you'd like everyone to sort of know a little bit more about in the sort of the EV charging space? If you just really, as I said, we've got um just our our load balancing product. Um, it basically obviously load balancing is very important now. Now that um people installing a lot of chargers, particularly at blocks of flats and things like that. Obviously you can do load balancing using uh, cloud-based systems and this is a, looks like a cheap way of doing it. But the problem with cloud systems, uh, there's a few problems. Firstly, they can be scale, can be quite expensive to scale because the business model, you know, you're typically paying by charger, by, um, by installation. Um, secondly, you're, you're reliant on the cellular infrastructure being up to to carry on the load balancing so this oh they're they're, they're really the, the sort of two key things so um there's late there can be latency issues as well um depending on how the communications are done but we've got this product link ray which sort of answers those things because it's a, a local on-site uh computer that's basically uh running balancing software and it can mix and match different types of charger dc and ac not our chargers, just any you know anyone's chargers. I mean, I say I caveat that because uh, uh, we found in testing chargers, quite a lot of chargers don't aren't fully OCPP compliant or whatever. But effectively, we sort of on, we've been onboarding chargers. So it supports quite a lot of chargers now. Anything that properly supports OCPP, which is the sort of language that chargers use to talk um, to the uh, to the uh, cloud cloud systems. And yeah, basically we've put in things that allow billing and like so. Um, yeah, it's just something people, if they're in installation and, and they've got that issue of wanting the off off offline um, or sort of low cost system for load balancing a whole load of chargers, then uh, um, take a look. That's my sales plug, basically. That's good. Uh, good. Yeah. I will just do. We'll, we'll finish the sales plug with how do people contact you? Yeah, they can contact us. So um, our, our, our website is www.versinetic.com and that's spelled, it's like versatile and kinetic. So it's a combination of those two words. V-E-R-S-I-N-E-T-I-C. Thank you. Yeah, dot com. Yeah. Um, you, so if they go on that website, they can find out more about the EV stuff. And then ByteSnap is B-Y-T-E-S-N-A-P. And that's also, I mean, that links to Versnetting and it also has a lot a lot of blog posts, a lot of stuff on it, just about general electronic design, which the, the company does, be it sort of um, medical, industrial, IoT. Um, we've done all sorts of 
I mean, there's one week I got phoned up and somebody asked us to design a talking banana. And then, and then three days later, someone phoned us up to design a talking chicken. So they were two different companies. So, you know, we've, we've had, had all sorts over the years. Uh, that was probably the most surreal week. Um, yeah. And maybe just summing up, will you sort of see your, maybe your business in five years or so with the changes of development technology? Yeah, so, yeah I mean, basically, I think we'll, we'll keep growing the, um, the smart charger business, but we're also, we've put a lot of investment into developing software stacks as well, which we're licensing for um, third parties. So we've got one, which is for ISO 15118, which is the next standard coming out for car to charge your communications and I've, I've sort of failed to mention on this podcast but that could that um, with plug and charge that that, that hopefully is going to sort of revolutionize um charging experience because you won't need to use apps and the phone anymore you just be able to be like tesla you plug your car in and and, and off you go do you want to mention so, it a bit more you can say a bit more about it if you want yeah yeah well it's basically yeah it's a new development this is obviously nothing to do with us i mean this is uh the car industry is brought in this um standard called uh, iso 15118 and basically it allows the car the problem with charging is that at the moment the existing standards don't uh, allow a um, car to tell the charger anything about its make model serial number battery and how full the battery is and that's really useful information if you, particularly if you're load balancing it's really useful to know oh this guy's empty this guy's full and then right i'm going to charge the empty guy first and you know Anyway, you don't get any of that information currently with existing charges. So this new standard addresses that because it allows the vehicle to give all that information if the car manufacturer turns it on and allows it, which is a big if. But if they do, there's now the communications. It's basically like putting Ethernet. It's, e it's like an Ethernet connection to the car. So effectively, it's joined the car to the internet. And there's things called value-added services, which basically allow the car to actually, you actually surf the web over the charger cable. So yeah, we've written a software stack. It's taken us sort of two years to do it, um, to support this. It's a very long, complicated standard. And we're licensing that now to, um, it's, it's available for license for people who, who, who are developing chargers who just want software in the same way that our OCPP software is licensed as well. So yeah, I sort of see the business going um, following that, you know, that licensing model. I mean, we're going to continue selling the hardware and continue to make the charges, but we've, you know, we're also going to be developing the software side of the business more as well. That's good. And then any, any last, uh, things you want to cover off or mention? Or um, rec well, recommends? Just, yeah. I mean, I'd just be, um, fascinated to more about, you know, what's, uh, what, what the charging scene and the, the, the EV scene is like in, in New Zealand. But, uh, what I would say, yeah, if you haven't driven an EV, and I'm sure most people who listen to this have, I think uh, it's a great experience. It's um, and you know people are scared of range anxiety, but we did a, a study um, in Perth. We basically asked people coming to the show. Uh, we did a uh, on our stand. We did a just a survey. And it was a very simple survey, and we're just asking people, do you have an EV? Don't you have an EV? And then we asked different questions depending. And what we found was that the people who did already have an EV. They really didn't have that sort of range anxiety. It sort of disappears basically once people have it because they realise that actually most of the time they're just doing short journeys and and or you know within the range of the EV. Whereas the people um, and and for them the barrier was just the cost of the EV and they just figured that and they they perceived other people's main barrier to buy uh, getting an EV was the cost of EVs because they are expensive. You know, there's no getting around that. Whereas the people who didn't have an EV were 
less bothered about the range. Uh, so less bothered about the cost and more bothered about the range, which was, I, I thought psychologically was quite interesting. I mean, I'm not saying our study was highly scientific and perfect. We, 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 we did talk to 120 people, so it wasn't just like one or two. Uh, obviously, there was, you could say, well, everyone at the show was interested in EV. But actually, one thing that surprised me was that like, more people at the show didn't have an EV than had one. So it wasn't just a whole load of EV enthusiasts. It was actually quite a lot of people just from the Perth area who were um, just, you know, just interested generally. Um, so, yeah, I'll just say to people, you know, if you haven't got an EV, give it a go um they're lovely to drive i think you know i don't i think most people once they've driven one would want to carry on driving evs i mean i know you get the odd person who um is a petrol head who does it and goes oh you know i, I like it. there's not enough rumble and tumble and but uh, i think for most people who drive an ev it's a it's a sort of one-way street fine they can carry on afford, affording it um but let's hope that um, with more sales and more volume and more uh, technology, the EV prices themselves will, will drop because uh, there's obviously a lot of pressure, downward pressure uh, on them at the moment. Thanks, Dunstan. Lots of informative information there. Great. Thank you for tuning into this episode. Make sure to give us a follow so you'll get notified every time a new episode drops. Also, if you have a moment, please leave us a rating. A five would be ideal. 